so glad that you're here today. If you have your Bible, let's go back to Luke chapter 4. And you might be thinking, we have been in Luke chapter 4 a long time. At this rate, we'll never get through the book of Luke. But hopefully we will finish the chapter today and then be in chapter 5 next week. Luke chapter 4. And we're going to be starting in verse 31. There is an old German philosopher by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. And in the year 1882, he penned these words. He said, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. Nietzsche believed that the Enlightenment had contributed to the erosion of religious beliefs that had long served as the foundation of the society of the world. He said that because of the Enlightenment, the idea was that the universe was now governed by physical laws and there is no need for divine providence. Governments no longer need God. Governments no longer need the Bible. There is no longer the authority of an absolute standard in the Word of God. We can find our morality, our values, our order, and science in philosophy. He said the increasing secularization of the Western world has led to the idea that not only was God dead, but that humans being, human beings had actually killed him. And without God, the whole world had changed. Now, you might think that this atheist believed that was a good thing, but he went on to say that this was terrible and it put the entire Western world in jeopardy. He said, without God, the world would lead to pessimism, a will of nothingness, a will to do nothing. There is no longer a hope to the existence of man. He said it would lead to what's known as nihilism, which is the rejection of all religious and moral principles, and it would be a catastrophe because it would lead to a life of meaningless a life of vanity, a life of nothing. It would be a catastrophe. And here we are today, about 140 years after these words have been penned, and we live in a society that, for a large part, would agree with the statement that God is dead. They would say that because they would look and they would say, we don't need God to live a productive society any longer. You can be a Christian, but the truth is that is an antiquated way of thinking. You can read the Bible, but the Bible is not keeping up with our times. It's not going along with the agenda that is set forth before us. They would look to the church, and they would say the church is dead. They would look to Christians, and they would say Christians in their spiritual life, they are dead. And we have a culture today that is caught up in a meaningless chase. We have men and women, boys and girls, and they're trying to find some sort of acceptance. They're trying to find some sort of value, some sort of purpose in their life, and they're chasing after all the world has to offer, but at the end, it's all in vanity. 
There's nothing long-lasting that the world has to offer. And so they would look and they would say that God is dead. But I want to proclaim to you this morning that God is not dead. God is not dead. God is powerful. God has authority. And sometimes we look at our life and we see that power is missing. We might see that purpose is missing. Do you ever feel like you get in a routine and you do the same thing every single day? Do some of you eat the same thing for breakfast every morning? And then you eat the same thing for lunch every day? And you go to work at the same time, you do the same task at your job, you come home at the same time, you do some chores, you watch the same television show, you eat some supper, you go to sleep, and you do it all again the next day and the next day and the next day. There are many who see their life and they think that it is meaningless, but if we are living our lives by the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we too will experience power and authority in our lives. If you want to find the meaning of your life, it's going to be found through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the agenda before us in our time together is to look at the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and try to glean some of that so we can go out into a lost world that sees no purpose in this book that we hold before us and we can walk in power and spread the good news to them. And so with that in mind, we're in Luke chapter 4 and uh, we're going to look through it like we have been, just kind of verse by verse. So look at verses 31 and 32. It says, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Jesus goes to Capernaum. You remember last week he was in his hometown of Nazareth. Now he's found in Capernaum. Capernaum was a larger little village. It had a population of around 1,000 people. It was one of the main fishing hubs of the area. Lots of folks were coming and going. There was a lot of trade in the area. And so once again, we find Jesus in the synagogue, and he is teaching on the Sabbath. And you'll notice that as he teaches, again, there is a response from the crowd. There's a response from the congregation. The Bible says that they were astonished. They were amazed. They were astounded. They were overwhelmed by the authority in the words of Jesus. When they listen to Jesus teach, there's an absolute power that they had never experienced before in their lives. These folks likely have been coming to the synagogue every week for many, many years. But as they listen to Jesus teach, they realize we have never heard a man speak like this. Nobody was dozing off. You ever look around and catch folks sleeping in church? You do it because I do it too. I catch them and then I watch because a lot of times what the preacher will do <clears throat> is he will raise his voice. He'll try to wake them up, but oftentimes it does not work. There's a lot of folks who sleep in church. I saw a church sign and it said, are you having trouble falling asleep? Dot, dot, dot. Come listen to our pastor. He'll help. 
And many times that seems to be the case. Nobody was dozing off. Nobody was checking the clock wondering how much longer is this going to take. Nobody was wondering if they're going to beat the other synagogue to Roadhouse that day for lunch. Jesus spoke and it created a response. And what we've seen thus far in chapter 4 is that every time Jesus speaks, there is a tangible response. Last week he spoke in Nazareth and they wanted to throw him over the edge of the cliff. This week we see that they're listening. They are amazed at what they are hearing. The people were used to the teachings of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And these guys, they never had an original thought in their entire life. They would take what a previous religious leader had said and they would repeat it week after week after week. It, it didn't start out good, but it just got worse and worse. It would be like taking oatmeal. See, I eat oatmeal for breakfast because it's supposed to be healthy, but oatmeal is not good. You can put fruit in it, you can put some sweet and low in it, it's just not good. But it's even worse if it gets cold and then you heat it up, and then it gets cold and you heat it up. And that's what these folks were listening to week after week after week. They were listening to messages that had no purpose, no application for their life. The message was trivial, it was legalistic, it was joyless, it was weightless, and it was boring. It was the picture of dead religion. And that is not unique to the first century, for many of us have had our feel of sermons like that. And if we're honest, we might be sitting here this morning wondering if we're about to endure another one. If the sermon we're listening to is going to be trivial, if it's going to be legalistic, if it's going to be joyless, if it's going to be weightless, if it's going to be boring. And one of the reasons that so many folks don't like preaching is because that is often how it is characterized. But I believe it is a disgrace to the Word of God to make it boring. When Jesus spoke into the lives of these individuals, they were on the edges of their seats. The words that he spoke, they were theologically accurate. They were well-organized. They were practical. They were interesting. They were true. Have you ever left a sermon and said, I wonder what point he was trying to get across? I've preached sermons, and I've left, and I've thought, I wonder what my point was supposed to be in that sermon. That never happened when Jesus was speaking. When Jesus spoke, there was authority, and it demanded a response. You see, I am convinced that the power for you and for me, listen, it comes from this book. I'm convinced that when we gather together, and so many of you, you have woken up early this morning. Was anybody comfortable in your bed this morning? Anybody, was it hard to get out of bed and you thought for a minute, man, I'd like to stay right here. But you, you got out of bed, you came to church. We come so that we can open up the Word of God and we can hear the authority from God. Amen? We don't come for an opinion. We, we don't come just to, to see what's going on. We have a conviction that it is through the Word of God that lives are changed. That we come together, and though our time is brief, we wish not to waste it. There's great power in the Word of God. It, politicians are not going to save us. Money is not going to save us. 
More education is not going to save us. How the world is going to be saved is through the powerful word of God. Jesus is the one and only who can save. And when we come together, our focus must be on the word. We don't come today to be entertained. Amen? We don't come today so that we can see a good show. This is not a stage for entertainment. This is a place to open up the Word of God and to dive into it. I heard this from Alistair Begg. He said, when churches begin to think of the space where messages are delivered as being a stage, then the congregation will expect to be entertained. And the preacher will be under the dreadful burden of being an entertainer. I'm not here to entertain you. What I'm here for is to open up the word of God. Because that is where the power and that is where the authority comes from. What was it that kept this crowd on the edge of their seats? Was it the the beautiful synagogue? No, because in those days the synagogues were very plain. Was it the way that Jesus looked? No, it had nothing to do with the way Jesus looked. It was the words that he spoke. It was the way that he opened up the law and the prophets, and he began to expound upon the word of God. He made much of the scripture. You see, there is power in words. Do you remember the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ back in Matthew chapter 17? The voice of God came out of the heavens, and it said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then it said, what? Listen to him. I find it interesting because it didn't say, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Worship him. It didn't say, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Adore him. It said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him because what he says is of crucial importance. In John chapter 7, the the officers were supposed to go and they were supposed to arrest Jesus and bring him back. They came back. They didn't have Jesus. And they were asked, Why didn't you bring Jesus back? And the Bible says they answered, No one ever spoke like this man. This man has power. When he opens his mouth, things happen. Romans 1.16, it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. You see, for you and I, we may become familiar with this book, but let us not become so familiar that we forget the power with which it holds. This is a powerful, powerful book. Is there anyone in here who your life has been totally transformed because of the word of God. Amen? Our life, if you are a believer, if you're a child of God, it is because of the truth that is found in the word of God. Jesus in his word remains as powerful today as it was back here in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus opened it and he began to speak to the people. Today we have preachers who have quit preaching the Word of God. We have congregations who have quit reading the Word of God. We have a government who's trying to pull the Word of God. And we wonder why it seems as though everything is dead around us. I can assure you that this book is not, nor will it ever be, dead. The problem is we have wasted away from it. The Bible says this in John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was... The Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, 
was not anything made that had been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is called the Word. The Word is powerful. Psalm 119, it says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You say, Case, you spend a lot of time trying to show that there is power in the Word. We get it. Amen? You get it? Let me ask you this. How much time did you spend in the Word this week? And we, we can agree that it's powerful. We can agree, the Bible says, how will they call on him of whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And that comes from the word of God. We can say amen. We can believe that. I can talk for the next 20 minutes about the power of the word of God. But all that's in vain until we take that home with us. Amen. You know what studies show? Studies show that most churchgoers, most active churchgoers, do not open up their Bible between Sundays. And so they come on Sunday, they open their Bible, they hear a sermon, they go home, they put it on the nightstand. It sits there undisturbed until the following Sunday when they pick it up and they bring it back to church again. If that's true for our life, then we're going to have a dead faith. We, we are called to open up the powerful word of God to let it change our life. Do you want to know how to be a great spouse? It's found in this book. You want to know how to be an amazing parent or an amazing grandparent? It's found in this book. Do you want to know how to make your life count and not to waste it in trivial pursuits? It's found in this powerful and mighty book. If we want to be a people of God that are focus on advancing the kingdom of God, then we're going to find that mission in this book. But if we go through our life and we lose our zeal and our passion for the word of God, then we're not going to do much at all for the kingdom of God. And folks will look at us and they will say, your God is dead. And they will say, your church is dead and they will say your spiritual life is dead you look no different than we look you talk no different than we talk you act no different than we act you're just the same and that's a shame amen we are to be a people of the book of people who love to open the book and sometimes that takes time sometimes you might read and you might say I just I'm not getting anything out of it today Do you know what you do you keep reading you keep going. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's hard. You create a habit in your life to where you invest into the Word of God. I have folks come to me and they say, Case, I feel like the Lord never speaks to me. And you know my first question? My first question is, how much time are you spending in the Word of God? And oftentimes they will kind of look sheepishly and they'll say, well, I, I'm not really reading my Bible very much. This is how God speaks to us. Amen. This is his direct revelation right here from his heart to yours. When you listen to it, when you read it, when you study it, God speaks. When you come into a, a service like this and you come not to be entertained, but you come and you say, Lord, would you speak to me from your word? The Bible says it never comes back void. 
And so anytime the word of God is thrown out, there will be benefits from it. There will be benefits for every one of our lives when we come in for the purpose of studying the word of God. And so when Jesus speaks, we see that there is power with it. If your life is dead, it's because you're not reflecting upon the word of God. There's authority to it, but not just is there power in the word of God, but also there's power over evil. Look back in your your Bible. Luke 4, look down in verse 34. So Jesus is teaching, and then verse 34 it says, let me, let me find it in context right here in mine, okay? And they were astonished at this word, verse 32. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a, the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So Jesus is teaching, just like we've been, everybody's listening, everybody's engaged, and all of a sudden, from the back, there's this man who is speaking, and he's very loud, and he says, Ha! What have you done with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Now, can you imagine when the folks hear that? They start looking over their shoulder. They start whispering to each other, what's going on? Who's this guy? Who let this guy into the church today? Everybody is confused. Everybody's trying to understand what is happening. There's a man who's come in, and he has come in with this unclean spirit. He's a demon-possessed man. And let's pause. We don't have time to talk about this, but where are they at The synagogue, they're at the house of God. There's a demon inside the house of God. That'll make you think, won't it? Everybody look around you, hope that that's not what's sitting beside you this morning. There's a demon inside the synagogue, and it cries out, not in surprise, but it cries out in terror and in dismay. It is in the presence of the Holy One of God, and this demon knows that that is not good for him and is not good for his kind. He knows and he recognizes Christ as the Holy One of God, and he cries out. We will see demons many times throughout our study. In fact, 23 times in this gospel, we will see demons. There is a holy war that has been launched, and the demons know it. As Jesus preaches, it signals that the battle is going to rage, and it's going to rage very fiercely. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And do you notice what the demon says? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Because I know that you are the Holy One of God. This crowd that Jesus is speaking to, they are not sure who Jesus is. They don't know who this man is. They know he preaches with power and authority, but they don't understand exactly who Jesus is. The demons do. Amen? Satan does. They know that this is the Son of God. They know that this is, in fact, the Messiah. And what they also know is that this man has the power to destroy. And you'll notice the demon doesn't say in the singular, but he says us. 
He says us in the plural. Jesus has come not just to destroy this one demon, but Jesus has come with such power and such authority that he is going to destroy all of the demons, all of the evil forces. They know who the Lord is. Can I just tell you this? Knowledge is not enough. Sometimes in the church, we think we've got to get more knowledge. If people just had more knowledge, that would be enough. You can have all the knowledge in the world. You can have a good theological understanding. You can know who Jesus is. You can know the scriptures. But that does not mean that an individual is saved. Because when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not about knowledge. It's not about works. It's based upon a genuine relationship. The enemy knows who Jesus is. These demons know who Jesus is, but yet they are surely not saved. James 2, 19, it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Now look at verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Jesus tells him to be silent. Jesus does not want this demon spreading who he is. He wants that to come through a proper understanding, not a, a misinformed understanding. So Jesus tells him to be quiet. In the Greek, it means to be muzzled. It would mean, we don't talk like this, but it would mean shut up. Don't say anything else. Case and daddy didn't say that. We'd be quiet. We don't say that. So the demon is rebuked in that moment, and he is rebuked to come out, but the demon does not come out quietly. He tries to throw the man to the ground because the intent of every demonic force is to destroy everything that's created in the image of God. And so even in leaving this individual, there is the plan to bring destruction. You see, Satan wants there to be a world where there is no guide. Satan loves the statement that God is dead. God has been dead, and we've killed him. Satan loves the fact that atheism is on the rise today. Satan loves the fact that agnosticism is on the rise today. Satan loves the fact that more than any time in our history in the United States, there are those who have no religious affiliation. The enemy loves that. He wants to take everyone, every one of us, and take us away from the things of God. And so he wants to destroy this man in the midst of Jesus. But Jesus has power. He has power over demons. He has power over Satan. Satan is under the authority of God. And when God chooses to command, Satan must obey and every time that Jesus cast out an evil spirit, it is anticipating the ultimate overthrow of Satan's kingdom. Because there's going to come a day when all the evil spirits will be cast into hell. There's going to be a day when all the evil spirits and Satan himself will be cast into the lake of fire. There's going to become a day when there's no more sickness. Amen? There's no more disease. There's no more cancer. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow in life. There's going to come a day when all these tactics of the enemy are done. You might be at a point in your life and there's lots of oppression coming your way. 
You might be here this morning and you might be wrapped up in sin so tight that you feel like there's no way out. There might be sin that it feels like it's got its grip around your neck and you try to withstand it, you try to break it, but you've been unsuccessful at this point. You might be here today and be oppressed by the enemy with a loathing self-hate, ashamed of your past, and it was hard for you to get up this morning and to come to be at this place. It may be that the enemy is attacking you with pride and arrogance, and it's easy for you to be here because you stick your chest out and you look down on others and you think that you're better than everyone else. It could be the enemy is attacking you, making you self-consumed and self-centered, and you don't even realize that it's a problem in your life. It could be the enemy is attacking you and you're wasting your life away. Every single day you're wasting your life on things that don't matter and have no value. It could be that in your life you are headed on a path to destruction. You are on your way straight to hell. But listen to me. Not only is the word powerful, but Jesus is powerful. And Jesus can take each and every one of these circumstances and turn them around. Is there anyone here this morning who used to be headed to hell, but now you're headed for an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there anyone here this morning who used to live the most selfish, self-centered life, but then you met the Lord Jesus Christ and things began to change? Is there anybody here this morning who used to struggle with sin so badly that it felt like it had its grip around your neck and you went out and you did things that you're ashamed of day after day after day, but then you met the Lord Jesus Christ and everything changed for you, everything changed in your life. Anybody like that? You see, that's the power of the Lord that we serve. We might look at the Bible and we might read these stories and say, well, there was power back then. It's not just that there was power back then. There is power today that's present in this room with us. Amen? And hopefully we have experienced that power because that is what we see here in the Word of God. Now let's look. I know we're running out of time. Look down to verse 42. Down to verse 42. And what we see is there's power in the word, there's power over evil, and now I want you to see the power of purpose. Verse 42, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You see, there's a temptation before them. There's a temptation before us. And the temptation is, Jesus, we like listen, listening to you teach. We like you being around us. Why don't you just stay right here? And it could be for us that we've experienced some amazing things at the hand of God. It could be that we have met with the Lord. And if we're not careful, we'll become complacent. And we'll say, why don't we just stay right here? This is a good spot. The Lord's blessed our church. The Lord's blessed our family. The Lord's done some good things right here. So let's just kick back. Let's hang out together. Let's have a good time. But let me remind you, every one of us in here, we have a purpose from God. Amen? 
We are here for a purpose. It's not to do the same routine day after day. It's not to make a little bit of money to pay our bills. We have a a purpose to advance the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, I can't stay right here. I've got to go. I've got a mission to do in my life. And if we get complacent and we stay right here, the world's going to say, see, it's dead. There's nothing to it. But if in this room this morning we would realize that we're on a purpose from the Lord Jesus Christ and we live our life differently because of that, there is no telling how God could use that. There's no telling. You see, I'm, I'm just excited. I'm excited about what God's doing right here at Woodland Hills. We, we've already, since we started Launch 24, you look around, you might not can see, but there's lots of folks way up behind you. There's no way this could all fit this service and the next one back in one sanctuary. God's working, and we need to get on that kingdom and try to get people to get in line with the will of God. There are folks that you see every day, and they're lost. They're lost. If they were to die today, if you got a message right now that they died you know that they would spend eternity in a place called hell. Don't you know some folks like that? And you've got the good news. You've got the power of the word. You know the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we will live our lives in the power of our purpose, don't you know that God would use that in a great way? So what does that look like? What does that look like for my life or for your life? It means that we're intentional. We look for opportunities that we can do the work and the will of God. Jesus said in John 20, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You know, the mission that Jesus had is the same mission that you and I have. In Matthew, he says, We have received all authority, so go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. We have a job to do. Let me ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want you to think about this text. We've seen, we've seen three things. And each one of these, we can apply to our life. Number one, we see that there's power in the Word of God. And I just wonder, in your life, are you living as though there's power in the Word of God? How often do you read it? Do you enjoy the Word of God? Do you enjoy the study, the preaching of the Word of God? Or could it be that in this room, there are some of us, and we have lost our zeal. We've lost our excitement. We get bored with it. And maybe there needs to be a time of commitment, a commitment that says, I've got to start reading my Word. There's power in it. I'm going to commit to read it. I'm going to read it with my family. I'm going to read it before I start my day. I'm going to make a commitment to be in the Word because it's powerful. And then we saw the power of Jesus. And maybe you're going against something in your life right now, and it seems like it's too big, and you have forgotten about the power of Jesus. You've got a tough spot. You've got a situation. Listen to me. The God that you serve is bigger The God that you serve is better, and he loves you. He cares for you. He can work in that situation. So remember the power of the God that you serve. And lastly, that you've got a purpose. 
You have a purpose for your life that gives you meaning. You don't have to wonder, what's my purpose? Why am I here? You're here to glorify God, to advance the kingdom of God. And so maybe a commitment to say, how can I do that? How can I advance the kingdom of God in my life? When you go to your job tomorrow, how can you live with purpose? Lord, we thank you for this day, all the ways that you bless us, God, for your word, how it speaks to us. Lord, I pray that you've challenged us, and I pray that whatever you lead us to do, God, that we'll respond in obedience. Lord, there may be some here who are not saved, and today's the day of salvation. I pray if you draw them, God, that they will answer that. They will be saved today. Maybe there are some folks who are looking for a church home. They need a church that will stand upon the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would call them here and that they will be faithful. Lord, I pray for each of us that we will live our life with a purpose, God, and not wasting what you bless us with. Lord, we ask for your will in Jesus' name. Amen.